platform. All right, good to see you guys. All right, if you will uh, open in your Bibles. To, hold on, just something just fell out of my Bible. What is it? Oh, my goodness. It's the first place medal from the table tennis tournament from Zion. I'm not, I'm not sure how this got in there because I've been wearing it every single day around the house, so I'm not sure how it got in there. But Yeah, yeah, Sean, if you could protect this for me. Thank you, so... All right, tonight we're going to be talking about pride. No, we're not going to be talking about song. All right. It's a true story from one of my favorite authors, and so I'll just tell it like this. Once upon a time, a little boy named John had a three-and-a-half-year-old three sister named Barbie. His sister told her parents one morning at breakfast that the night before she woke up and there was a bird sitting on the table right next to her bed. She pet it, and it bit her. Her parents thought... Uh, that's kind of a weird dream for a three-and-a-half-year-old kid to have. The next day, his mom was cleaning in the kid's bedroom. She opened the closet, and a bat flew out. It was living in their apartment, and his mom discovered it. This woman, this mother, was such a clean freak that she used to wash the laces of their saddle shoes every day. She scoured the guest room bathroom every day, whether they had guests or not. And now she found that their dwelling was a bat cave. She, she very calmly went ballistic. She got their dad, who went after the bat with a broom and beat it so bad it could not be tested for rabies. So his sister, so his sister at three and a half year olds had to get a shot every day for three weeks in case she'd been bitten by a rabid bat. And his parents gave her a very serious warning. Barbie, if this birdie should have any brothers or sisters, don't pet them, don't talk to them, run, don't play with a rabid bat, they said to the sister. You know, I feel like this is really wise advice for a little kid. Don't play with a rabid bat. You know, I bet you John and his sister, they always remember those words, and they never played with a rabid bat in the years that follows. Listen, guys, when you're family and you love somebody and you see somebody in danger, you warn them. That's what you do. If there's a kid in peril standing on the edge of Niagara Falls, the parents will go, oh, that stupid kid. There he goes again. You know, he'll eventually learn his lesson. No, you don't do that. You go and tell him, get away from the edge of the cliff. You know, something horrible is about to happen to you. <clears throat> This isn't just in families, too. If you're a coach of a team, uh, you, would never, uh, you would never think about, what, what would you think about a coach who never brought correction to any of his players? What would you think about a conductor of an orchestra who never uh, told an errant, you know, someone who was way off key playing the trombone, hey, you're off key. They just let it go and just hope things work out. I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, right? Are you guys seeing what I'm driving at? If you're in community with people and you genuinely care about them, if you have a heart at all for the well-being of that individual, you're going to confront them sometimes when they're going off the wrong path, okay? You have to fearlessly have a frank conversation. Stay away from the rabid bat. You're on the road to serious damage. I want to give you a picture here that might be a little bit different. We're going to help reframe. Are we okay here on this Labor Day weekend? Yeah. All right. Confrontation is a precious gift. It is a tool and a gift we give to one another to help them realize the growth they could never get by themselves. I'm going to say it again in case you thought I was kidding. Confrontation is a precious gift. It is a tool and gift we give to one another to try to realize the growth we could never know all by ourselves. Guys, if this gift is withheld, teams will deteriorate. Performances will fail. Families will break apart. Companies will go bankrupt. And church people will stay immature and selfish. The lack of appropriate, effective confrontation is fatal to communities, and it can be lethal in men and women's spiritual lives. 
Zion, for God, for us to become the kingdom community that God's called us to be, we're going to have to learn to have frank conversations with people in a loving way that they can receive it. We've got to be willing to speak the risky truth to one another. Now, in the Bible, it talks about uh, confrontation in a couple places. One is Matthew 18, and it's different than what we're talking about today. Matthew 18 is when someone offends you. They hurt your feelings. They, they do something, and uh, Jesus is like, hey, here's what you do. You go to the person, and if that doesn't resolve it, then you take two or three others along, and if that doesn't work, you go to the church. Okay? So that, that, I've done sermons on that before. So that's conflict. Conflict is, listen, we've got a problem. Confrontation is different. Confrontation is, you've got a problem, and I'm here to help. Can you see how that's a little bit different? It takes a little bit different skill set to that. So what do you do if you know a Christian who has patterns and practices in their lives that are contrary to the way of following Jesus? There's no sin against you personally, right? But how do you humbly and appropriately engage in them in a way that's going to help them grow up to be who God's called them to be? How do you give that person what the King James calls the ministry of admonition? I'm calling it the ministry that nobody wants. (laughs) All right? So, how, uh, so uh, first of all, let me ask you this. What do you think of when you hear the word confrontation? I think this is what most people think of. We'll get the, uh, the cake stealer up there. Hope I don't have to narrate this one this, this week here. Here we go. He's taking someone else's piece of cake there. He clearly knows it's wrong. Hey, John, how are you, huh? That ain't your cake, Philip. That's the moon's cake. You eat someone else's cake again, and I'm gonna give you a slice of Tony special pain cake, and you won't for seconds of that. Oh boy. He was eating Simone's cake, and he knew better. Terry Tate was gonna give him a slice of Terry Tate's pain cake, and he's not gonna want seconds, in case you didn't get all that. I think that's what a lot of people think of when they think of confrontation. You're coming, and it's bam, it is rough, it is in your face, and they are gonna know how you, and they're, they're left quivering, and that, guys, that's not confrontation. Listen to Proverbs 12.1 in the Amplified. Whoever loves instruction and correction loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is like a brute beast, stupid and indiscriminating. <laughs> it's just the Bible. Don't, don't, don't look at me like that, all right? Here it is in the message translation. If you love learning, you love the discipline that goes with it. How short-sighted to refuse correction. Remember, guys, I said confrontation, we need to look at it as a welcome gift. We've got to reframe this thing when it's done properly. I understand. People can be jerks. We're going to talk about all that stuff, Okay. Um, but I don't know about you, I want the power of truth coming into my life to set me free, even if it comes through someone else's lips. Sometimes the Holy Spirit uses other people, all right? Remember Jesus, he asked his disciples, what are you arguing about along the way? And he asked them this knowing they were about to get into a messy discussion about who's the greatest. What's he doing? He's confronting them. Jesus asked people, why do you call me Lord and you don't do what I'm saying? He's confronting them. He asked a promiscuous woman to fetch her husband. He called religious leader corpses with expensive makeup jobs, whitewashed tombs. Well, that's a pretty strong, that's a pretty thing. Knowing full well things are about to get messy, right? After Jesus ascended into heaven, no one ever confronted anybody again. No, no, it continued on all throughout the scriptures. Have you read Paul's letters? Right? He's like, listen, I don't want to have to come at you with a whip. I want to come with a nice guy thing. But um, Hebrew-speaking Christians, they got tangled up with the Greek-speaking Christians. Like, who's taking care of the widows? I feel like there's some favoritism going on there. There's some confrontation that happened there. Paul went after Peter for caving into legalists. Listen, if you love God and love people, you have to prefer the temporary pain of a loving, uncomfortable conversation to the peace of staying out of the whole mess. If you really love somebody. King David had Nathan come and confront him about his adultery with Bathsheba and his murder with Uriah. I remember, um, boy, I've been confronted a lot. And so, uh, you know, and, and I love it. I just love it. It's so wonderful. 
Every single time, I'm like, oh, man, let me give you a gift card. It's so wonderful. <laughs> and so I remember I'm, uh, I think I'm like in my first year of seminary, and I am in like full Pharisee mode. I, am not, I'm not, I already had a Pharisaical heart to argue, and now I'm being equipped with the Greek and the Hebrew and the hermeneutics and all this stuff to, to be able to really lay it on people. And so I'm meeting with a mentor of mine, and so I, am gonna, I think I'm going to impress him with all of my new seminary knowledge. And so I use it in the form of criticizing other people's ministries. And so I began to um, criticize Benny Hinn. I'm going to talk about some of Benny Hinn's theology. And um, <laughs> he says, Jim, Benny Hinn can do what you do, but you can't do what he does. Uh, oh, this is in front of my wife, by the way. And so... <laughs> And then, then he says, um, when you're working miracles in front of thousands of people, how do you do it differently than Benny Hinn? I'm not doing any miracles at this point. I'm just criticizing people who are doing miracles. And he says, let me give you a picture. He said, do you remember the story of Absalom? Absalom was King David's son who looked to usurp the throne by bad-mouthing David to everybody. And remember Absalom, uh, one time he's riding his horse and there's this thicket and his, he has long hair and his hair gets caught in the thicket. His horse rides off and he's hanging between heaven and earth. Remember that? And one of uh, Absalom's enemies came and slayed him while he was hanging between heaven and earth. He said, Jim, if you don't change the way you talk about people, there's going to be a day where you're hanging between heaven and earth because of your words and your enemies are going to come and slay you. That's about 29 years ago. I'm still remembering it word for word. Guess what? You don't hear me talk about people like that. That, that. that kind of message gets your attention. What does he do? He loved me enough to have the uncomfortable conversation. I'm, I'm sure he didn't enjoy it, knowing his heart. But he loved me enough to say the hard things. And to not just say it 90%, to say it 100%. How are we doing? People consider it compassionate to not be honest with people. To just kind of be nice. To not really just, just, to just give them the encouraging things and hope they figure the rest out. That's not being compassionate. That's being a wuss. It's being selfish because you're more concerned about how it makes you feel uncomfortable than how it makes them feel willing to change. When you don't confront somebody, it isn't because you love them, it's because you love yourself more. How are we doing? Here's a little sidebar for parents. Okay? The, uh, the confrontation with kids is a little bit different. The Bible calls it discipline. But it isn't loving for you to not correct your children because you don't want to be mean and afraid that they won't like you. That's not loving towards them. It's loving yourself and being selfish. Okay? And, and there's ways to do it. And it says fathers don't exasperate your children. I was talking to someone the other week, and they said that um, this father, I think he had like three or four girls, he spanked his kids every day when they came home from school, whether they did something or not, because he figured they were hiding something from them. Okay? I'm not talking about exasperating your children and being ridiculous. Okay? But um, here's, a, here's a quick little outline maybe to help you. Zero to ten years old, it's about teaching them to obey. We, we could go through the biblical words and look at the different words for children and teenagers and yeah. obedience and discipline. But just, just get this. Zero to ten, it's about teaching them to obey. If they don't learn to obey the mom and dad's voice, they're not going to learn to obey the voice of God. And so it's okay to be a little bit of a helicopter parent at this point. I'm not talking like totally just smothering them and never get to make any choices. But listen, you need to make sure they don't stick their finger in a leg socket and die you got to be a little bit of a helicopter parent. You're on them a little bit. It's okay to give them a little swat in their diaper, a little swat in their tush. I'm not talking about leaving welts with, uh, you know, with whatever implements of punishment. I'm not talking about that. But, you know, a little two-year-old little swat in the diaper, guess what? It hurts their feelings, and they remember. Are we okay? All right? So it's okay to be a little bit of a helicopter parent. When it's 10 to 20, I mean, it could be, you know, zero to seven. But once they start getting about 10 years old, they're a little bit too old to spank. 
Okay, maybe it could be seven, eight, could be 11, 12. I mean, it kind of depends on the kid. Let's just say zero to 10, teach them to obey. Uh, 10 to 20, it's about uh, teaching them to understand. And this is where you're giving them the why behind things. It's not just a little swat because I told you so. Now it's, listen, if you keep lying, you're going to ruin every relationship in your life and no one's going to be able to trust you. You're not going to have a job. You're not going to have this. You're giving them the why behind the discipline. You understand that? At about 20 years old, the Bible considers them an adult. We could look at different things like that. And instead of the helicopter, it needs to be Black Hawk down. That helicopter needs to die. They're adults. And so here what happens a lot of times is um, parents want to be their friends, their kids' friend when they're little. And then when they're older, they try to parent them. It doesn't work that way. You try to parent an adult by helicoptering them and controlling them and telling them and having them run things by you, you're going to ruin it, especially when they're married. Here's what it says. It says, Father, it says, um, a man shall leave his father. Are we doing okay here? I guarantee this part's not in the notes. So here we go. Um, I think it's 92% of spirit-filled Christians said that their in-laws were a significant problem in their marriage. Significant problem in their marriage. What's going on? A man shall leave his father and mother and uh, leave them and cleave to his wife. What that means is the husband and wife's relationship is the highest priority relationship above mom and dad. It doesn't mean you cut off mom and dad. I mean, it doesn't mean that you stop honoring mom and dad. But um, when, you're, when they're 20 and above, when they're, when they're married, you're now entering into a friendship stage, a mentor stage, when they ask for it. How are we doing? How many of you guys realize unasked for advice is called criticism? How are we doing? Come to the altars. Come on down here. So just, just come on down front here, right here. Proverbs 13, 24. If you withhold correction and punishment from your children, you demonstrate a lack of true love. So prove your love and be prompt to punish them. Okay? And, and the, word, the words for like disciplining kids when they're like, you know, let's just call it 10 to 20 years old, it's loving correction. It's not humiliation. It's not... It's, it's a correction that's it's teaching them something, not just hurting their feelings, spanking their bottom, whatever that might be. So, um, boy, I don't want to go. I, I wasn't planning on doing all this stuff. If you're going to spank your kids, never do it in anger. Like, hold on, are you saying doing it in cold blood? Yes, not hot blood. Okay, because, because a lot of times it can be your frustration that you're getting out on their backside rather than you actually teaching them something. So you may need to go and send them to their room and pray and calm down and get wisdom. And sometimes they might not need this bank and sometimes they might need grace. Sometimes they may need justice. <laughs> okay. And so one thing I try to do is when I had to discipline my kids, it was, it was really hard for me. You know how it says it hurts me more than it hurts you? Um, I think it actually did hurt me more. I mean, I, I think I had more tears than the kids did. Is this not true, Wesley? I mean, I, so I would have the kids. When I'm disciplining the kids, I always wanted them on my hip. And so I had them on my hip, and I'm, I'm reminding them, listen, I would, I would begin to speak prophetic words over their life. Listen, you're a creative genius. You're called to be an influencer. And when you're, if you're going to continue in this, it's going to ruin that. This is not who you are. This is who you are. I'm reminding them who they are. I got them on my hip. I'm, I'm crying. I'm hugging them. I'm kissing them. Whoosh. Crying, hugging and kissing them. <laughs> All right? I didn't want them to think that they're getting punished because they did something bad and they're a bad person. It's like, I love you. And there's this spirit. I would say something like this. You know, there's this, 
There's this voice inside your head telling you don't have to listen to mom and dad. You know what that voice sounds like? Yeah, I know what it is. Listen, I need you to be able to chase that away. And if you can't chase that spirit away, I'm going to have to help you chase it away by giving you a swat in your butt. And so, um, so they started doing something. Listen, I need you to be able to chase it. Can you chase it? Yeah, I can chase it away. I can chase it away. What are they doing? They're learning how to resist the devil. They're learning that. What am I doing? We're giving them instruction. We're giving them discipline, not a punishment. Okay, I'm helping you learn. Are you seeing the difference? All right. Not in the notes, but hopefully help somebody. Listen, parents, we all know it's way more comfortable to avoid conflict and just let it go and just whatever and da-da-da-da-da than to lovingly tell somebody, don't play with a rabid bat. So what is the goal of confrontation? Back to the message. Are we okay? What is the goal of confrontation? Confrontation is about bringing something to the light. It's, you're giving them information that maybe they had a blind spot to, and we're going to do it in a spirit of gentleness. I'm going to read the verse here in just a second. I've come to turn on the lights and give you an opportunity to see because I don't think you see. Right now, you're in darkness. You're not seeing. If you saw this, I think you'd change your behavior. You've got a blind spot here. I'm not trying to control you. Confrontation is not an attempt to force your hand or make you do something. Listen, if you don't do this, okay, I'm holding up a mirror for you to see the rest of what the rest of us are seeing. I'm, okay, I'm away from the, the disciplining the kids thing now. Okay? I'm talking about adults. All right? What am I doing? I'm holding up the mirror, and I'm helping you see what everybody else sees, because I don't think you see it. I'm doing it in a spirit of gentleness. Um, it's a loving effort to show you face-to-face how you're affecting the world around you, because I'm not sure you understand. I'm calling you up to a higher level, and I'm saying, listen, you're way too awesome to be acting like this. I believe that God has deposited something amazing on the inside of you, and I'm calling that to the surface. Okay? Many people would argue this is being judgmental. Okay? When you judge somebody, you're accusing them and you're, uh, you're sentencing them in their mind. Oh, this is, they got this, they got this spirit, they got this and this. God may give you discernment uh, on these things. I'm just saying um, when, you're, when you're confronting someone, you're admonishing, you're taking more of a curious approach. Okay? Hey, I've been noticing this. Why is this? You see the curious approach rather than, listen, you've been a jerk to everybody around you. We've all had enough of it. That's not gentle. We're gonna, let's look at Galatians 6.1 here. This is the classic text on how to confront somebody, the ministry of admonition. Galatians 6.1. Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should ream them out publicly. No. You should restore him gently. But watch yourself, or you may also be tempted. Wow. So here's the time remains. What I want to do is I want to get in the nuts and bolts of this confrontation business, the ministry that nobody wants. Are we okay? All right. I'm not an expert in this. I'm learning, but here we go. And so... Um, to be able to do this uh, ministry of confrontation without judgmentalism or superiority or spiritual smugness, to be able to receive it openly without getting defensive or crushed, and I want to go away and I'm going to change churches now because somebody said something to me, that's going to be one of our greatest tests. Okay? We've actually had people in the church where we've lovingly confronted them and they leave the church because they're afraid that, oh, now da-da-da, and the, the, the staff must all know. Staff doesn't all know. We're, we're, we're talking to you right now, Right? And so let's just talk through what Paul uh, says to the church in Galatians. Okay, so here's the first question. I'm going to do this in a series of questions. Um, when do I confront? So when do you confront somebody? Let's look at Galatians 6.1 again. As Paul says, it's needed if someone is caught in a sin. Notice it doesn't say, if somebody's got a personality quirk that you don't like, this is your opportunity to confront them. No, no, that's not what it says. It's not needed when someone like, uh, is uh, playing worship music that you don't like on the stage. It's not when someone's wearing clothes that aren't your style. Um, it's not the nitpicking, fault-finding spirit, and now this is your verse to be able to use that. This is not that. How are we doing? 
Okay? He doesn't say, it's if anyone commits a sin, because someone might commit a sin, be aware of it, repent of it, and, and they're on the road to recovery. This isn't your chance to rub their nose in it. Okay? He says, if someone is caught, the idea is someone is in, has a misbehavior, maybe it's a pattern of misbehavior, it's a tendency, and they don't recognize it. They're, they're not understanding it. It's, uh, there's, there's no admission of guilt. There's no evidence of repentance. There's no movement toward change, and they're just kind of stuck, and maybe they don't even see it. Let me give you some examples. Maybe somebody you know habitually neglects their children. God's entrusted these little lives to them, and they're so busy in their own little world that they don't even realize they've got these precious gifts, and they're neglecting the kids. Maybe someone has a problem with anger, and they're using words that just cut everybody around them. And they've got this anger problem, and now everyone's kind of in avoidance mode around them, and uh, they don't even seem to be aware of it. Maybe you know someone whose pace of life is unhealthy, and it's keeping them from becoming the kind of person that God's called them to be. Every time you ask them, how am I doing, what do they say? Busy, as if it's the tenth fruit of the Spirit. Maybe you know somebody on a pretty regular basis distorts the truth. Maybe they just embellish a little bit, exaggerate, deceive, which is a nice way of saying lying. To avoid pain or maybe to manipulate people or maybe to manipulate people's opinions of them to think higher of them than they actually are. No one has the courage to love them until they tell them about this. Maybe you know somebody, there's just this persistent coldness in their hearts towards God and people. Man, they're just kind of cold about everything. They've got an attitude and they're not loving and kind. Just coldness. Maybe you know somebody who's living in a, a habitual attitude of complaint or ingratitude and it's killing them relationally. No one wants to be around them because they've got this, they're going to get gossiped to or complained to or how bad Joe Biden is or Donald Trump is or da-da-da-da-da. It's just always negative, 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 and it's killing them relationally. Someone needs to tell them, quit playing with the rabid bat. The ministry is needed when, I, when someone I know and love and someone I care for is stuck. That's when the ministry is needed. Now, uh, Paul says when somebody's stuck, what should you do? How should you respond? Okay, so when you do it, when someone you love is stuck, and you need to, you need to show them, okay? How, what should you do? Let's look at verse 1 again. Brothers, if someone is caught in sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. I love that word, restore. Restore that person. Notice he doesn't say, ignore what they do, and maybe it'll go away, which happens too often in many churches. Ah, we'll just pray for them behind their back and hope something happens. It's not what the Bible says to do. He doesn't say, complain about them to close friends. Maybe they'll hear what you've said secondhand and straighten up. He doesn't say, give up on them and be thankful you're superior to them. He says, restore them, go to them, speak face to face with them. Here's a flip side of this. When you do nothing, you're violating community. Okay? Uh, there's this remarkable statement in Leviticus 19.17. Let's all quote not Leviticus 19.17. No, we're not going to quote it. Here it is. Are you ready for this? Do not hate your brother and sister in your heart. Rebuke your neighbor frankly so you will not share in their guilt. All right, they got a different translation than me. Do not hate your brother or sister in your heart. Rebuke your neighbor frankly so you will not share in their guilt. Notice what the writer is saying. He's making a contrast here. He's saying, don't hate them. Instead of hating them, rebuke them. If you're not going to rebuke and correct somebody who's in sin, you're hating them. And, it, and there's these, not only that, it says, offer rebuke so you, so you will not share in their guilt. In other words, if you fail to confront when it's needed, you share in their guilt. You're like, Jim, I thought this was Galatians, the gospel of grace. 
Yeah, in a culture of grace, we need lots of grace. And sometimes God puts it through the words of other people. A lot of you uh, here today, you have kids or you work with kids, you're around them in some way. One of the greatest gifts you can give to that little life is to teach them to prize corrective feedback. To be open to it, eventually prize it. When my kids were growing up many times in our house, I would rebuke one of them sharply and they would say, thank you, Dad, for that rebuke. And then they would spread their wings and go in the kitchen and make dinner for the whole family. It was just wonderful. To prize corrective feedback is a hallmark of maturity. Um, the book of Proverbs speaks about it all the time. Listen to Proverbs 25, 12. Like an earring of gold or an ornament of fine gold, in other words, a piece of valuable jewelry, like I'm wearing it, is something valuable, is a wise man's rebuke to a listening ear. Wow. To someone who prizes feedback, it's like an earring of gold. Okay? This is a great verse for young people because it kind of like uh, uh, it indicates that um, body piercing is a biblical practice. I'm just kidding. That's not That's somebody's takeaway today. All right, so there we go. All right, have them memorize it because not only does this show how valuable rebuke is, but it's got the body piercing. They'll love it no matter what then. So just have them memorize that verse. So when is this ministry needed? Okay, Uh, this is a review. When is it needed? When somebody's caught. What do we do? You go to them. You restore them. You don't ignore it. You don't gossip. You don't put it off. You go to the person in love. So who ought to do this? Who ought to do this ministry? Paul says, if someone's caught in sin, Galatians 6.1, you who are spiritual. Notice it doesn't say you who are pastors, you who are elders, you who are teachers. You who have been commissioned by the church to have this special ministry of confrontation. You who are spiritual. I want you guys to get this. There's nothing magic about this phrase. It simply means you who have the spirit. You who are allowing the Holy Spirit to have unhindered sway in your life, you're the ones who are supposed to do this ministry. Now, if you're an intentional rebellion against God, if the people you know, uh, if, if people who know you well tell you, listen, you are judgmental, you've got this superiority thing on them, don't do it, okay? But if you can honestly, sincerely say, and, and spiritually mature people around you would say the same thing, I'm looking to live for God. I want the Holy Spirit to have un- unhindered sway in my life, then it's part of your ministry as an ordinary believer for this ministry of confrontation. And you know what? That is most of the people sitting here today. I don't know everybody, so I can't speak to it. But most people in here, you're at a church like this because you want the Holy Spirit and you want them to have an unhindered sway. So you are going to have this ministry of confrontation. Just don't do it apart from asking for the Spirit's help. Don't just do this mechanical thing. Okay, you told me this, go here. So spend some time in prayer. Be sensitive to the Spirit's leadings and how you can uh, say it in a way that it can be best received. Okay, this brings me up to the next important question. Okay, well then, how do we carry it out? Okay, how do we, so, you know, who's going to do it? Now, how do we carry this ministry out, okay? I'm going to go through uh, three different ways we can carry it out and three different aspects to it. But uh, the first one Paul mentions is gently. Let's look, look at verse 1 again. Brothers, if someone is caught in the sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. Do we need to look at another Terry Tate video to see what gently looks like? Right, let's see what it looks like if you're late to work with Terry Tate. Let's do it one more time here. Oh, you know, this is an extended lunch break. That's what it is, late lunch. Late lunch, Roger? Hey, Amy. You bet, Roger. Accounting needed these 15 minutes ago. Right. Lunch in there, too, not 215. Whoa! Some of us need the Terry Tate picture in our heart to remind us to not do it, by the way. You should restore that person gently. Use a scalpel, not a machete. Okay? Listen to 1 Thessalonians 2, verses 6 through 8. 
Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our own selves because you had become very dear to us. I love that picture of gentleness there. Uh, we're gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. Gentleness describes the heart attitude of the one doing the confrontation. Okay? Gentleness doesn't mean nice, and it doesn't mean polite. The heart of gentleness is, I don't need to control you. I'm bringing this to you open-handed. You do with it what you want. I'm not here to make sure you take it, and I'm going to keep badgering you until you do it my way, until I'm satisfied. No, 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 no. Imagine approaching a deer trying to pet it. If that deer has any inkling that you're trying to capture it, it's gone. Okay? That's how you're approaching somebody when, uh, <laughs> with confrontation. If they have any inkling that you're trying to control them, then whew, they're gone. All right? Uh, remember, we're bringing something to light that they might not see otherwise. Okay? So here's something that I, I find useful. Use questions. Okay? So maybe just, maybe just on the approach is just, hey, I got something I'm seeing in your life that's just a little bit concerning. Do you mind if we talk about it? Okay? So now they know something's coming and they've given you the permission. It helps a little bit. <laughs> it doesn't help all the way there. It helps a little bit. Okay, yeah, okay, I'm ready. It gets them ready. Okay? Um, and you let them know, listen, my heart is not to blast you. I could have this whole thing wrong. I, I like to assume in these things, I think part of gentleness, we're going to look at humility. And, well, I'll, I'll tell you why we hate humility here. Okay, I have a concern for you. Can I, can I tell you about it? And, um, man, people just respond a lot more openly if they just use something simple like that. Bill Johnson says this, um, if it doesn't hurt you to confront another person, you probably have a wrong attitude. If you're looking forward to this and this person's been bugging you and now you've got this little thing, sit down and shut up. Go get in the prayer closet until your heart is right. Confront yourself, all right? Here's another phrase I, I sometimes use. Help me understand this. Hey, um, I'm just kind of seeing this. I could be totally misunderstanding this whole thing, but this is kind of what I'm seeing is when, is when you talk, you're totally not confrontable. It's like you're always right, and it's just it's kind of pushing people away. Um, can you help me understand this? What am I doing? I'm, I'm, hey, here's kind of what I'm seeing. I could be wrong on this thing. This is kind of how I'm reading it. Help me understand. And it just gives them a chance. Well, hey, man, I didn't even know I was coming across that way. And da-da-da-da-da-da. And it's like, thank you, you know. There's a second way. So, uh, so with, uh, with that uh, gentleness, using questions can help. Saying help me understand this can help. A uh, second way to help um, when, when confronting somebody is, uh, besides gentleness, it needs to be done with humility. Let's look at, um, let's read verse 1 and then verse 3. Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin... You who are spiritual should restore him gently, but watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. And then verse 3, if any of you think you are something when you are nothing, you deceive yourselves. This is still the context of confrontation, okay? Like, I, I've talked about this before, but any, um, any kind of uh, spirit of self-righteous or smugness or spiritual support, superiority is just going to do damage. If you're enjoying this at all, it's going to do damage, Okay, so if you're going to reprove somebody, you have to sincerely say to yourself, listen, if it wasn't for the grace of God... I'm capable of doing this very same thing. It's going to give you humility. Guys, the only reason you and I have anything good in our life is not because of our amazing character, our amazing genetics, our amazing upbringing. It's because of the grace of God. Anything spiritual that's going to last is becoming the grace of God. And so part of that humility is um, if any of you thinks you're something when you're nothing, you deceive yourselves. If you think you're up here and they're down here, you're deceiving yourself. It's because of the grace of God. And so you come in with that humble attitude.
Okay? The third way that admonishing needs to be carried out is we need to admonish each other with uh, tremendous patience. Let's look at verse 1 and 2. Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. In other words, be patient. A lot of times we're like, transform now. I just told you about this thing. Why haven't you changed it instantaneously the moment I told you? Right? And so um, get on with it. I, I, you know. And so, listen, guys, they, they may have habits. And um, how patient has God been with you? <laughs> has any, yeah, I mean, I mean has anyone, you, you can't FedEx transformation. Has anyone besides me had to get uh, forgiven from God for the same thing more than 1,000 times? Yeah, me too. All right? And so if God's that patient with you, don't you think we can show someone else some patience? Because it takes them just as long to transform as it did you and me. All right? Don't you think we can bear with one another? That's what this uh, ministry is needed. Let me just shift gears here before we, um, before we circle in for landing here. Um, let me talk about you about deception. You know what is really stinking about, about deception? Is you don't know you're deceived. <laughs> if you knew you were deceived, you wouldn't be deceived anymore. <laughs> okay? It's really terrible that way. The only way to get out of deception is to trust somebody more than yourself. If you don't have a voice you trust more than your own voice, then you will never get out of deception. The very nature of deception is that you can't see it. So somebody else is going to have to point it out to you so that you can see it. Okay, let's look at this at a natural level. Let's just imagine you had a table tennis coach. And so, <laughs> what are they doing? They're going to notice things in your stroke that you can't see. So I actually took a lesson on Friday. And uh, he had me stand in front of a mirror. And I wasn't turning my hips enough. And he kept saying, hide your pocket. Okay, so I had to turn enough that I couldn't see my pocket in the mirror, right? What's he doing? Yeah, I didn't notice that. I thought I was turning my hips plenty. Uh, I had a coach tell me, Jim, you're growing roots with your feet. You're not moving your feet. And so I you can put a little bit nicer than that, but I, don't know. but I remembered it. I remembered it. And so it takes a coach to see an issue and help you do that, okay? Leaders and ministers, listen, you're allowed to have issues as long as you're moving forward and working on them. Guys, there isn't a perfect person on this stage or in this sanctuary. Everyone in here is, has some area of their life that's in process. That's okay. It doesn't disqualify you from being used by God. Okay? But um, we have to be willing to deal with these things and grow with these things. Okay? Without a Nathan in our lives, we can drift off course. Uh, David, he was a man after God's own heart. He didn't set off to be a murderer. He did not set off to be an adulterer. Okay? Uh, we generally don't intend to make a mess of our lives. But we need somebody that we trust more than ourselves that can come in and say, you're the man. You, you're, you're doing this. So think of confrontation like touching an eyeball. If someone were going to touch your eyeball, this is a Danny Silk illustration. If someone were going to touch your eyeball, like, how would, you want, how would you want that to happen? You'd be like, hey, look over there. Boink. And I'm like, whoa, oh my word. Are you kidding me? Well, first of all, I'd want to know that their fingers were clean. Well, it's probably going to help me to know, hey, I've, just, I've sanitized my hands for 10 minutes here, and I'm ready to do surgery. Okay, I feel a little bit better about it. Like, you know, like, like, that's like the equivalent of my motives are pure. They're coming at you with clean hands, okay? And they're going to do it in gentleness, okay? It's like, hey, um, I'm about to touch your eyeball. It's just, it's just going to be for a second. My hands are clean. And so here it comes. Okay, how, you know, right? Like, so that's, that's kind of confrontation. It's like, hey, um, I'm going to tell you something that's a little bit uncomfortable. And what are you doing? You're getting, you're getting them set up for it. My hands are clean. Now you get in the picture. Uh, 
You want them to have clean fingers. You approach slow and gently. They prepare you big for what you're about to do, not an abrupt eye poke, okay? Um, it needs, so what part of that clean hands is it needs somebody who has confidentiality and somebody you, know, you, you, know, you can trust, okay? So um, in a culture of honor, we have to have the powerful practice of confrontation to one another, but it only works in the context of trust, okay? It only works in the context of I have something to protect in this relationship and so do you. Okay? If this person doesn't give a rip about the relationship, they leave the church. They leave the relationship. They block your phone number. They unfriend you from Facebook. I don't recommend doing this over Facebook, by the way. So. Or text. <laughs> yeah. Or skywriting. Yeah. So this, yeah. In person is the best. Okay? Um, <clears throat> if you got this attitude, if they don't like what I say, who cares? I've got the ministry of truth telling. I'm going to tell them how it is. Don't confront anybody. Stay at home and pray for a while and confront yourself. Um, don't mistake being rude for being someone who can confront. Don't, don't mistake being direct and rude with no heart behind it as being biblically confronting. So here's a quick question. Are you confrontable? When people are around you, is there an invisible sign over your forehead that says, don't even try to confront me, or you'll pay for it. Or is there a welcome mat that says, you know what? I'm teachable. I'm open. I don't have everything together. Do you value growth and input and have enough humility to receive input from someone, even if it's painful to hear? Or do you or start finding fault with the person bringing you the information so you can invalidate them so you don't have to listen to what they say? that person doesn't have their act together. They got this area of their life and they got this area of their life. That's not humility. Who does this person think they are? How dare they bring that up to me? Do you know what they did last summer? Psalm 141.5 says that a rebuke from a righteous man is like oil on my head. So it's an ancient custom of hospitality and respect to show a dinner guest. They would pour oil on their head. It would have these different fragrances. It was, you know, the Middle East, there wasn't air conditioning. It's very hot in there. And it was something that was cool and soothing that would last a lifetime. And the Bible says that a rebuke from a righteous man is refreshing to me. Psalm 23 says, um, remember it talks about anointing hair with oil. Uh, you welcome me as an honored guest by rubbing oil onto my head. That's the, the today's English version. Here's the New Living Translation. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. You can actually honor someone and treat them as a welcome guest when you confront them gently so that you can restore them with an attitude of humility. I'm going to close with this verse, uh, Proverbs 27, 6. You can trust, if, this is the Passion Translation. I don't, I don't know if I gave them this one or not. Uh, you can trust a friend who wounds you with his honesty, but your enemy's pretended flattery comes from insincerity. Did I get that one up there? You can trust a friend who wounds you with his honesty. Sometimes the best friends you have will tell you the hardest things. But they're going to do it from the right heart because they've got something to protect. So let me get real personal for a moment. I'm going to start calling some people out and confronting them publicly. No, I'm not going to do that, so... You, right there. Yeah, you. Yeah. Let me get personal for a moment. Who's the Nathan in your life? The prophet Nathan who came to David, in case you're missing the metaphor. Who's the Nathan in your life? Is there anyone you've asked to be a truth teller to you? If you're married, I think I was part of the vows. Uh, I'm not sure we explicitly said it, but 
It's it. It's in there. All right? Um, are there people in your life that ask you the tough questions? I just met with um, Josh Lawrence this week, the um, pastor out at World Fire. We got to get him over here to speak. I just love that guy. We had such a good time. And, um, and he, uh, you know, we're, we're eating, and uh, he leans across the table, and he says, Jim, um, how's your daily encounters going with the Lord? What's he doing? He's asking a tough question. He says, hey, I remember I used to set aside a day a week to do this with the Lord. Are you still doing this? What's he doing? He's being a good friend. He's making sure that the most important thing, he wasn't, I don't think he was fishing for anything. I don't think he had anything. He was being a truth teller in my life, and I super appreciated that. If you don't have somebody in your life, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to start praying for somebody in your life to come like that. Um, let's do that. I'll stand for closing prayer. You guys good? So we did the, the uh, book of Galatians, and I did a te- instead of teaching verse by verse through it, we kind of just took some different sections. In uh, chapter 1, we looked at the false gospel. Chapter 2, we looked at uh, Christ living in you. Chapter 3, we looked at the, birth, uh, the blessing of Abraham. Then we went to chapter 5, and we looked at the battle between sin and the flesh. You guys remember that one? And how sin is stupid. You guys remember that one? And then I thought, well, I need to help him get out of sin. So we looked at overcoming temptation. Now we looked at how to confront. So three on grace, three on sin. You're welcome. It's over now. Okay, so, yeah. So we're going to, you know, it's, it's the grace of God that teaches us to say no to ungodliness. We actually need both sides of it. All right, and so we're going to, uh, our next series we're going to do, I'm going to look at the, uh, the different clauses of the new covenant. It's going to be called the terms of the blood covenant. We're actually going to look, when there was a blood covenant made, there was terms of the covenant. We're going to look at them, see what's available to us. It's going to be awesome. I think we're going to go through the book of Acts, and so we're going to try to really uh, read, the, read the book of Acts as a church and really help you hear from the Holy Spirit yourself. And when I come and do, uh, it'll, be, it'll be a little bit more of a dialogue. Does that sound good? So here's how I want to close this out. Is I want to just give you, if you don't have somebody um, in, in your life, I want to just, just take a moment and just give you a chance to pray for that. Lord, I need, I need somebody in my life like that. And, um, and the second thing, I want you to uh, ask the Lord, am I confrontable? Right? So, you, God, I, I want to have a grace to be able to receive this, and I want to have a grace to be able to give this. So let's just close out like that. So right now, first of all, just, Lord, I, give me a grace to receive this. So, um, Holy Spirit, right now, we just uh, we turn our hearts towards you, and we ask you to make us confrontable. And if any of us in here are realizing that we have not been confrontable, we've been a little bit prickly, uh, we just uh, we repent of that right now. We say, Holy Spirit, I don't want that in my life anymore. I'm asking for you to come and change that spot. So, Lord, make me confrontable. All right, I'm going to pray that somebody comes in this next 10 days and gives you a chance to practice that. All right? <laughs> so, see how confrontable you are. So, married couples, uh, I try 10 minutes. Here we go. So, um, grace receive. And then, Lord, I pray that you'd give us uh, courage as a church to love someone more than our own comfort levels, uh, to be able to speak the truth in love. Lord, to come with the right heart and, uh, and to lead the results up to you, that we would really become the community that you've dreamed of. We love you, Lord. I'm going um, to end reading a blessing over you, and I want you to imagine that if a witch stood up here to curse you, a lot of people would think there'd be a lot of power in that. And I just want to say a blessing is stronger than any curse. Okay? And so I want you to just put faith in this. This is a blessing that uh, Aaron, when he was the high priest of Israel, read over Israel. And so, uh, so just receive this as a blessing to you. You guys ready for this? May the Lord bless you and keep you. 
the Lord make his face shine upon you. I'm not sure if you've ever seen the way that a grandparent looks at their uh, grandchild. You've seen the shining face of a parent. That's, that's the shining face of God over you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace and put his name upon you so that he might bless you. Lord, I thank you for the most dangerous group in Columbus, Ohio, that you're building something special here. People who uh, not only act like you, but really love like you. Lord, that we not only are able to demonstrate with power and word and deed, but uh, Lord, in love and kindness. And I just thank you that you're using us as one voice in the choir to transform this city. And so I just pray a blessing on each person, each family, each business, each school district, each neighborhood represented here in the name of Jesus. Lord, let your shining face be upon us that we may represent what you're like.